Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Now, you guys can't see me because you're in uh, Washington, Todd, and you're in Hartford. I am wearing a dress shirt and a sweater vest. Who am I? (laughs) (laughs) You're biased is what you are. You're clearly in the tank. Is it an official Santorum sweater vest? Did you buy it off his website? Did you see? No, they sell them on the website. 100 bucks a pop. Really? You know what I don't like about his sweater vest? The V's are too big. That's what makes them look so dorky. Like, like I'm going to defend my sweater vest because it's got a very narrow V at the top. And I don't know. There's something about that wide V over the dress shirt. It just looks so dorky. Well, it's a, actually a little bit surprising that Rick Santorum would go for a plunging neckline. You'd think he'd be a little more, you know, This silhouette does nothing for him. <laughs> well, I'm Brian Lehrer, and this is It's a Free Country, the podcast, where Todd Zwillick and Sale and I compete to bring the most revealing political soundbite of the week. And listeners, we want you to vote. After hearing this podcast each week, who brought the most revealing clip of the week? And you vote on our politics website, it's a free country.org. How you guys doing today? Well, I think it's uh, Anna. You're the I one who's found... been. You're the one who's really been going hardest at it. Yeah, you, you, you've been in New Hampshire. I've been. I've well, been let's... sequestered in the Beltway. That's what I think. The revealing question was particularly difficult this week because <sighs> New Hampshire was boring. It was, wasn't all it? All in all. It's just We born. hate to admit and it. And so it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's it's hard. <laughs> you hate to admit it, but also it feels good to admit it. Because as a reporter, you're like, what's the, what's the fresh angle I can come at this with? And, you know, when Romney's got a huge lead in the polls, and even when you talk to voters, they're not too excited about him, but they'll probably vote for him anyway. It's just sort of a ho-hum story. I thought there was a lot around. of drama going into last night. Was Romney going to come out with... Seven convention delegates or eight? <laughs> <laughs> I heard when the special started last night with that question, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> We're we in go. for a, I thought it would rope well, people it, in, you know, with the kind of dry <laughs> irony of the whole thing. Well, I've got a, I've got a Mitt Romney clip that I'm going to play for us for just a second that, that is less about New Hampshire and hopefully about the rest of the race, which is why I think it's so revealing. Right before I get to it, just so that we don't lead off this podcast by telling people that New Hampshire was terribly boring. Anna Sale, I have a question for you that I've been wondering about, that yeah. I've been saving. Since New Hampshire was so dull, did you get any personal FaceTime with Vermin Supreme? I've been dying to ask you. I didn't meet Vermin. It was a, a, you didn't? a failure on my part. Yeah, yes. I'm, I'm a little disappointed. I, I, I wish that you had because I would love a first-person account of, uh, of the man himself. What am I missing um, here? I should know who Vermin Supreme is, I guess. Anna, why don't you tell Brian? It, well, I, you know, Todd, I'm not a Vermin expert, but I, I know he's, he's kind of a, uh, a famous guy in New Hampshire who's uh, just a kind of eccentric uh, political yeah. figure. I what's, what's his – What's now, Vermin, deal, Vermin Supreme is a satirist. Vermin Supreme is a candidate for president in yeah. New Hampshire. He's actually on the ballot. He got, I, I'm, I'm guessing, he, I think he got something around 875 votes last night, uh, which is more Did than you Rick can Perry? say for a lot of other candidates. He got about <laughs> half of what Rick Perry got. 
Uh, Vermin Supreme likes to hold a bullhorn outside of events and heckle candidates. He wears a rubber boot on his head. He has a big, long beard, and he likes to get in camera shots when candidates are glad-handing on rope lines and walking through parking lots. Just, um, you know, I, I, Brian, I would encourage you to go on YouTube and just type in Vermin Supreme, and that'll be a far better description than I could ever give you. I, I now, is will. that his given name? Well, I, some people on Twitter were wondering <laughs> if it wasn't the latest offering from Taco Bell. Um, Ooh. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, hey, come on. I live in Manhattan, and you can't live in Manhattan with knowing something about vermin. Um, <laughs> but, Anna, where you come from in West Virginia, I think they call them varmints, right? That's right. That's right. Varmint Supreme. Well, it makes me wonder who, who the vermin supreme of South Carolina will be. And let me get to my, my clip here a little bit because I, I think that this clip – said a lot about what happened in New Hampshire um, over the weekend as we had those two weekend debates and then we transitioned um, you know, into election night. Now, um, th- this is from the debates last, uh, over the weekend. This is an exchange between Newt Gingrich and Mitt Romney here that I think says a lot about where we're going in South Carolina. Let's hit that clip. Uh, it said that, that as part of an investigation, an ethics investigation, that you had to reimburse some $300,000. Uh, those things were all true. If there was something related to abortion that it said that was wrong, I hope they pull it out. Anything wrong, I'm opposed to. But, you know, this ain't, this ain't a beanbag. Uh, we're going to come into a campaign. We're going to describe the differences right. between us. But I do think the rhetoric, Mr. Speaker, I, I think was a little over the top. You think my rhetoric was over the top, but your ads were totally reasonable. All right. This ain't beanbag, says Mitt Romney. And and right at that point, it certainly became not beanbag anymore because that it was right after that that Newt Gingrich, uh, Newt Gingrich announced to the world that a uh, super PAC that's on his side in his corner was going to be releasing this long infomercial, this video about alleged uh, rapacious, voracious, vulture like capitalism during Mitt Romney's um, tenure at Bain Capital. And it's going to be flooding in South Carolina. They're going to be running that ad. Um, I don't know yet if it's going to be on television or just Internet. It's certainly gotten a lot of buzz amongst us in the media. And uh, Newt Gingrich is also spending his own personal campaign money on abortion ads. No, this is not beanbag anymore. Well, I just love that Newt, Newt Gingrich's tone there. You think my rhetoric is over the top, <laughs> this deadpan. You know, I mean, he's... He's an angry man, and it's going to get ugly in South Carolina, where it usually is where it gets really ugly. But who wins when both of them are like, your rhetoric is worse than, I mean, my, your rhetoric is worse than my rhetoric. No, your rhetoric is worse than my rhetoric. Who wins? It's probably neither of them. No, n- nobody wins, and everybody always goes back to, the, to, to one of Newt Gingrich's favorite rhetorical flourishes, which he was using at the beginning of this race, which was Ronald Reagan's 11th commandment, Republican shall shall not criticize another Republican. Um, That makes Newt Gingrich a sinner, at least in this case, uh, in this sense, because he is certainly going to be criticizing another Republican and harshly so as uh, as they head into South Carolina here. You know, it it just you're right, um, Anna, that South Carolina always gets like this. I mean, remember George W. George W. Bush versus John McCain um, uh, in South Carolina. Uh, Karl Rove tactics, legendary, alleged Karl Rove tactics of dirty tricks and implications that um, John McCain had a, a child who wasn't white or had a child who was black. Turns out one of his children is, is uh, I guess, Bangladeshi um, and is not white. But that, that was made an issue in some mailings. It, it doesn't get much uglier than that, and, and this race may, may, may just as well. Well, in the spirit of Gingrich, um, 
you think that was the most revealing clip of the week? I'll well, show you a most revealing <laughs> clip of the week. Reveal. So to me, if the competition is for most revealing clip, I'm looking for something that reveals something we don't know about a candidate or reveals something we didn't realize about our country or about ourselves, the voters. So my clip this week reveals that Rick Santorum's grandfather fled Mussolini to avoid too much Medicare. Now, you think I'm making this up, <laughs> but here we go. Santorum was campaigning in New Hampshire, and I think this got underreported because it was just after the Sunday debate. So there were so many sound bites already in circulation that someone would have had to say something incredibly stupid to break through the backlog, something that no one would ever say, like they like firing people or something like, oh, that happened. <laughs> um, well, that one broke through. So I guess that was much stupider than comparing President Obama to Mussolini by name, which is what Santorum did, or comparing Medicare and food stamps to fascism. I thank New York Politicker for writing up this clip and bringing it to my attention. It starts with Santorum revealing something about his immigrant grandfather. He came after having fought in World War I because Mussolini had been in power now three years and he had figured out that fascism was something that would crush his spirit and his freedom. So that's the beginning of the story that Santorum tells. We'll spare you an overlong four-minute excerpt about the virtues and problems of America, but Santorum wraps up this story of his grandfather fleeing Mussolini and coming to America, uh, bringing it full circle by talking about the presidential campaign and America today. And we have two parties who are out talking about how they're going to solve those problems. One wants to talk about raising taxes on people who have been successful and redistributing money, increasing dependency in this country, promoting more Medicare, Medicaid and food stamps and all sorts of social welfare programs and passing Obamacare to provide even more government subsidies, more and more dependency, more and more government, exactly what my grandfather left in 1925. Exactly what my grandfather left in exactly. 1925. So that's my entry, folks. Rick Santorum reveals that his grandfather fled Mussolini so he wouldn't live in a country with uh, too much Medicare. Top that's that. A, that's a big reveal. Brian, is this, is this better or worse or the same as all of the protest signs that I saw in Washington, D.C.? You guys may have seen them in, as well in New York or, or in your travels. Um, at the at, at the beginning, at the, the the big push of the Tea Party movement, uh, right around 2010, where there were plenty of signs featuring the president of the United States with a Hitler mustache and, in some cases, swastikas. Yeah, well, you know, this happened under Bush as well, right? Especially yes, when indeed. the Iraq War was beginning. Uh, remember the big John Stewart rally? Anna, I think you were there, weren't you? I wasn't there, but I remember it. Um, we sent some It's a Free Country folks down there. Right. And his whole there. point was, you know, we may disagree with you, but we don't think you're Hitler. <laughs> Apparently, Ren, uh, Rick Santorum wasn't at that debate. Well, I think this Rick Santorum, you know, Rick Santorum's talking about fascism, but then you've got Mitt Romney in his sort of pitch to the general electorate talking about European-style socialism. And I think, like, at what point are we all going to stop and and— just sort of take a look at this. I mean, it's it's without question that that 
There are a lot of voters concerned about American decline. A lot of voters not certain what the future in America looks like. But See, but I think there's it, a difference between well, saying that Obama and the Democrats practice socialism. I think that's actually within bounds. Uh, there are social democracies in Europe. You know, Western European countries wouldn't uh, blanch at calling what they have socialism. Fascism under Mussolini is in another category, in my opinion. Well, it's another category, but it's also – I think it's a far cry to say that we have socialism in America under the Obama administration. And and I think it's just it's just become this it's, – it's an easy sort of rhetorical crutch that, that's become standard in this Republican debate that because there is concern about American decline, that, that it's – the future vision for the American economy is vague, that we don't know where we're going, that we're in the midst of all these structural shifts – that the problem is big government as opposed to the problem is we're in this huge shift and we don't know what we're shifting to. And nobody's articulating what the next economic, you know, sort of engine of the American economy is going to be. Right. What can be a little bit frustrating about it when you listen to politicians use language like this, certainly Rick Santorum's free to use it, in my opinion, uh, is that it's a comparison totally lacking of nuance. Annie, you're completely right. There's a lot of angst uncertainty, anxiety out there about the future of the country, both in the long and medium term. And even in the long term, we're facing deficits and a bad economy and an unpopular president and, and wars overseas. Um, it's, it's a vague and uneasy and nuanced situation. Uh, and then I, I sort of see comparisons to Mussolini, Mussolini or, or, or Adolf Hitler as just bringing out a clown hammer and bopping somebody over the head in the most ham-handed fashion. I, I'm not trying to criticize Rick Santorum directly. He's far from the only candidate or person in the public square who's done this. But what can be frustrating about it when you cover politics on the level of detail and granularity that we do sometimes is, is how very blunt a tool it can be. And the well, number me- of – Anna, go ahead. Well, well, I'm going to shift to my clip, but you can you have another. Well, point I was just going to say uh, the number of terms that are common and don't necessarily have to be dirty words that are now being used as forms of mudslinging. So, yeah, they call Obama socialist, and I would still maintain we have, for example, social security in this country. It is a form of socialism in the ca- in the context of our. Um, you know, capitalist but hybrid economy, and shouldn't be a dirty word, but they call Obama a socialist uh, as a form of mudslinging. Gingrich, and I almost brought this clip, attacks Mitt Romney by calling him a moderate. That's become a dirty word. He's a a Massachusetts moderate. (gasps) Not a moderate? Oh, my God, I can't vote for a moderate. And then they go after Romney for being a capitalist at Bain with everything they went there. So you can't be a socialist, you can't be a capitalist, and you can't be a moderate. I give up. Well, you can't be I a liberal or a banker makes... either. Remember that? There's, those are dirty words too. Liberal became a dirty word. They now call themselves progressives. Banker's certainly a dirty word. Uh, maybe it has been for a while, but you know, you capture the language of these things. Well, I think that's what makes my clip the actually most revealing one of the week because it gets at all these questions of who wins when there's this mudslinging, who wins when we're talking about Mussolini comparing him to President Obama, who wins when when you know Bain and and when capitalism and you know all these the the everything becomes moderate becomes a dirty word. I think what we learned in New Hampshire is there is this huge uh, appetite among unaffiliated independent voters 
for an alternative from this kind of horse race, you know, debate that's happening about who's going to be the standard bearer of the Republican Party. I talked to a woman at the John Huntsman headquarters last night. This was before the results came out, but she wasn't confident that her candidate was going to have a strong showing. Uh, but she she just really wanted she was frustrated. She was frustrated by what had happened in New Hampshire with the media coverage. She was frustrated that with John Huntsman out, she didn't feel like she had a candidate that she could vote for who was an alternative to Obama, even as she is frustrated with Obama. This is what she told me. This is Gail Jolin in Manchester, New Hampshire. I'm not a Republican, so, you know, I'm not a diehard anything. But, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, he can, if he gets elected, or if he gets seen, personally, that moderates will come together. No one's coming together right now, Republicans or Democrats. And I'm tired of it. And I think that Gail Jolin speaks for a lot of voters in this country who say they're dissatisfied with Congress. They're dissatisfied with the direction of the country. And the Republican primary campaign is not connecting with that sentiment whatsoever. And as we go to Florida, which is a closed primary where independent voters can't participate, they're not going to be in it either. They don't have to be appealed to. Nobody, moderate can continue to be a bad word. When has the country ever, you know, moderacy to me and and people who are frustrated like your voter there, Anna, um, says to me that people are, are, are yearning for kind of a pulling together, a commonality of purpose and all of those things that, that candidates always talk about. And every candidate always talks about that. But, but when, when does the country ever pull together, you know, in times of economic strife and uncertainty and bad economy and high unemployment and high debt? No, th- these are the times when, when, when we really, when we really go, go to battle and voters, voters seem to be demanding one thing out of one side of their mouths and asking for another out of the other side of their mouths. They elected the, they erected, they elected President Obama by giant margin in 2008. They turned around and elected the Tea Party and emboldened Republicans to never make a deal with him. Then people are coming back and rolling their eyes and, and, and wishing the, the partisanship and the bad ads and the Obama bashing uh, would go away. And it's it, the electorate doesn't know what they want um, because people are confused, and I don't blame them. But I feel badly for people like your voter, I guess, because she she has a genuine, heartfelt desire for moderacy and agreement and commonality of purpose and problem solving. You're not going to get it in this environment. Talk to me when when unemployment is back mm-hmm. at five percent. You know, right? Scarcity makes people go at each other for the scraps. And uh, look at the conundrum that. Mitt Romney is caught in. I don't spend a mm-hmm. you know whole lot of my time feeling bad for Mitt Romney, but the the Tea Party factions of it demand a free market economy above all else, and then get furious at Mitt Romney for laying people off when his company bought struggling companies. So you can't have it always. Um, you know we have a contest. Did you know we have a contest? You mean the one I just What's won with my awesome clip of the week? <laughs> No, not the one I oh, just a won one. with oh. my awesome cl- clip of the week. That's the contest that we compete in. We have a contest for the listeners co- to compete in. And listeners, oh. he- here's the thing. As as we wrap up, you now uh, have the the assignment of doing two things. Go to itsafreecountry.org and vote. Who really did have the most revealing soundbite of the week? Anna Sale, Todd Zwillick. word revealing, Yay. listeners. Or me, Brian Lehrer. And... We, we have a contest that comes out of Todd's clip um, because Todd's clip was Gingrich and 
Romney and talking about how politics ain't beanbag. And that's a famous expression, but one that is hopefully out of date. And I think we can do better for the 20th <laughs> century. Uh, Todd, where did that come from in the first place? This ain't beanbag? Mm-hmm. This, I mean, I, I, I suspect it comes from someplace before the turn of the century. Is this that game that they play in the South where you, um, you toss the beanbag at the board with the hole in it? You play it on the beach or on the Cornhole lawn? Is, at football uh, games. What is it called? Cornhole. That's exactly right. Oh, is that what it is? I looked is, it up. And it's are they called, synonymous? It's called, yes, they're synonymous. It's called um, beanbag toss, also known as cornhole. Anna, how did you know that? Did they play that in Don't West Virginia? Don't you all go to college football games? You drink beer in a red cup and you play cornhole. Get with it. I, similar it's to America. Similar, <laughs> according to Wikipedia, anyway, similar to horseshoes. I went to school in Canada. That's my excuse. They don't they don't play beanbag or cornhole in Montreal. I went to hockey games. We did have the beer. Y'all are a bunch I of confer- socialists. But did I know what it was? I have played it, just not in college. I, I, I played on the beach once in a while in North Carolina. And the person who was said to have coined it was Finley Peter Dunn, an American humorist and writer from Chicago uh, in the um, late 1800s and early 1900s. But since nobody plays beanbag anymore, and kids are going to hear this and they're going to go, politics ain't beanbag. You know, what? what is that? Uh, let's update the saying. So listeners, fill in the blank on Twitter. We want you to tweet us with this one. Use the hashtag, because you can't use a contraction like ain't, politics is not. Okay, use the hashtag (laughs) politics is not. Fill in the blank for, you know, the 21st century. Politics. Words with friends. Words. I was going to say Farmville. It was started off. (laughs) I was going to say Farmville. You can't Uh, steal my Sorry, buddy. (laughs) Politics ain't foosball. Politics ain't beer pong. So, uh, so listeners, we're going to pick a winner, and we're going to try to create a hashtag phenomenon and get politicians to uh, use the updated phrase that one of you comes up with. Tweet us using the hashtag politics is not. So, so with this new podcast, we also have a new home on itsafreecountry.org. So you can go to itsafreecountry.org slash podcast, and that's where you can also vote on my clip that it's the best. And... Of see course, you remember to vote, always vote the Z. That's my. <laughs> uh, that's usually my promo there. The uh, the Todd Zwillett clip on this ain't beanbag. Hey, come on, it's going to define the rest of the race. You know it. It's the Zwillett clip. You want to vote for that? Just one. remember Mussolini and <laughs> Medicare. <laughs>